0: Good morning, church, and happy Easter. Uh, It's a privilege to be able to bring God's word for you this morning on Easter Sunday, even though we're not physically present together. But this morning for our Easter service, we're going to be concluding our series on the Psalms of Lament. And if you know anything about Psalm 22 uh, or about Easter in general, then you might think this is an odd pairing. And in some senses, it is. Now, why would we preach a passage that starts out with a cry of God forsakenness on Easter Sunday? Isn't Easter supposed to be about the resurrection and the triumphant joy and hope of the gospel? Aren't we supposed to bound out of church wearing our matching pastel colors in joy over the resurrection of Jesus? Or maybe more fitting this year, you can bound out of your home for your thousandth walk this week wearing your matching pajamas. But this morning we're going to study Psalm 22 and I hope that we see this morning that Psalm 22 will show us that it's Easter that brings ultimate perspective and shape to our lamenting. See Easter and the hope that it proclaims is essential for Christian lament and therefore for Christian joy. So if you would open your Bible's, with me this morning uh, to Psalm 22. We're going to start in verse 22 and read down through the end. That'll be the main text that we cover this morning. So Psalm 22, starting in verse 22, it says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. This is God's word. Thanks be to God for it. And I'll invite you to pray with me now that the Lord would come and meet us and encourage us in the hope of the resurrection this morning. Father, we come before you and we pray that you would be with us this morning by your spirit. Lord, teach us your word and stir our hearts up with love for you and with hope as we look at how resurrection changes our perspective in the midst of suffering. Father God, comfort, comfort us this morning and help us to have new eyes to see. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, due to the current state of things, many of us have had a lot more time on our hands recently. Uh, So if you all are like me, then you've probably spent that time doing a number of things, but watching movies has probably been up there. It's a great time to catch up on movies that you haven't seen recently or to rewatch some old favorites. And one such favorite for me is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I'm still currently trying to convince my wife to watch those three with me. In many of our favorite movies or stories though, there's a point that the plot comes to in which everything looks dark and it looks like there's no way in which the story can end up with a happy ending. And yet in a moment, things turn around. Light pierces through the darkness. The plot changes and turns on a dime. We can all likely think of a scene from a specific movie that epitomizes this perfectly. And that scene for me that I was thinking of as I was preparing the sermon this week is from The Two Towers, uh, the second movie in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So for those of you who aren't familiar with these movies, number one, you should be. Number two, I will summarize this for you a little bit. So in The Two Towers, uh, the people of the nation of Rohan are being Uh, oppressed by the, the evil enemy and they have to flee to this old fortress and in that fortress a battle rages and the people of Rohan continually get beaten back until they are on their last leg in this hidden innermost part of the fortress and the soldiers are there and the enemy is breaking down the door and they are almost broken through. And the soldiers, rather than allowing them to break in, decide courageously in hope that reinforcements are going to come, that they're going to break open the doors themselves and go charge and fight the enemy. And so they do that courageously. And yet even as they do that, they're surrounded on all sides by the enemy. And it looks like hope is lost. But then, just as morning light dawns over the hill, you see on the top of this far hill, Gandalf, the white wizard, coming. And he brings hope to the army, and he rides in with reinforcements and defeats the enemy. In that moment, when Gandalf appears, everything turns in this story. And a happy ending results Now this psalm of David takes place in a moment like this. If this psalm were a scene in a movie, it would be this scene where things look darkest and then light breaks in. You see, the psalm begins in a moment of despair, a moment so sorrowful that David cries out in verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as Pastor Mike taught us on Good Friday, these are the very words that Jesus takes on his lips on the cross. This is a psalm not primarily about David or even about us, but it's about Jesus. And it appeared on that Good Friday that Jesus was actually forsaken by God, lying dead in the grave after suffering the death of a criminal and a sinner. You see, this psalm asks the question, does God hear our cries for help? Will he answer us or has he forsaken us? Has he abandoned us? But this psalm, in asking that question, also provides a definitive answer from God. Now, in order to see this as clearly as possible, this answer, this turn where light breaks in, I'm going to read verses 19 through 22 of the psalm in a different translation than we usually use here in church. So we usually read from the ESV translation. I'm going to read from the CSB translation, another good Bible translation. I think this captures this turn in the psalm for us. So starting in verse 19, it says, But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You see, that word in verse 21 that the CSB translates as answered actually occurs at the very end of the sentence in Hebrew. So what this text is trying to communicate as dramatically as possible is a sudden shift in the tone of this song. You could almost read verse 21 with a dramatic pause before that final cry. You could read it like this. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You have answered me. This answer from God sweeps in. Not like the, the beams of light slowly creeping over the horizon, but like a floodlight breaking into the night. And that floodlight is the resurrection of Jesus. Folks, although all hope appeared to be lost, Jesus did not stay in the grave. You see, that Saturday, in between Friday and Sunday, was like the dramatic pause in this psalm. Things were still. The people were wondering, has God forsaken us? Has God forsaken Jesus to the grave? But then Jesus broke out of that tomb and light broke into this dark world. See, the resurrection is a worldwide declaration that God has not forgotten his son and that he has not forgotten us. The resurrection shows us that suffering and death is inevitable in this world, but it is not ultimate. It does not have the last and final word. God has declared in the death and resurrection of his son that all who trust in him will never be forsaken. Well, let's spend our time this morning, the rest of the time that we have, focusing on three ways that the resurrection encourages us in our suffering. And we're going to draw those out of these final nine verses from this psalm. So three ways: the resurrection encourages us in our suffering. number one: the resurrection is for everyone. The resurrection is for everyone. In this passage, pictures the salvation that God offers in the resurrection as a massive feast that more and more people get invited into. Now, if you look down in your Bibles through verses 26 through 30, then you'll notice that all kinds of people get invited to this feast, right? All nations are invited. Both the humble and the proud, both the lowly and haughty, both the one whose life is a wreck and the one whose life looks put together on the outside, get invited to this feast. And even generations that are not yet born have the gospel proclaimed to them, and they are invited to partake in this worship feast of salvation. Let me pause and ask a question that might seem odd to you. Whenever you are invited to a party, why do you get invited? Now, if you're anything like me, then you probably get invited for your incredibly good looks and charming wit and sense of humor. And as you all know me, uh, you know that's not true. But seriously, we usually get invited to a party based upon who we are. Or maybe something that we have done or have promised to do for a person. All right, we usually get invited to a party because the host likes our company or is, is stands to benefit from us in some way. Usually, the host of a party doesn't invite all of his or her enemies or estranged relatives and think that they're going to have a good time. And yet, this is precisely what Jesus does in salvation Jesus suffers and dies for his enemies and invites them into a feast. You see, no matter whether you are proud and still think that your life is going pretty well, or you're humble and afflicted and have suffered, and you know that your life is not good, no matter whether you're black or white, no matter whether you're young or old, the greatest suffering that you can ever experience is not found in this life. The greatest suffering that you and I can experience possible is the actual absence of the presence of God. You see, all humans are on a death march away from the presence of God that will reach its ultimate conclusion when we die, eternally separated from God's loving embrace. And we all know this. We get a foretaste of what that death away from his presence looks like right now. Be honest. Is your life really that good? We know we stink at running our own lives, even in the best of times. If we are truly the captain of our own lives, then our lives are like the Titanic. We are all in the same boat as human beings. And yet, God doesn't invite us to this party, this feast of salvation, based upon who we are or what we have done for him, but based upon who he is. Based upon his loving, good character. You see, when we run from him, he runs toward us. And the only way that we can be spared from this eternal suffering is if God, in his goodness, steps in and does something about it. And that is precisely what he does in the gospel. You see, this is what Christians mean when we speak of God's grace. We could not do anything to earn a right to sit at this table. And yet God does the work and invites us to partake in this feast. Verse 31 of this psalm captures this truth perfectly for us. It says, They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. God, in his love, has done everything necessary for you to have life forever in his presence. And this is incredibly good news for you in your suffering, because if you trust in Christ, that means that the worst suffering of this life is the worst that things will get for you. See, in his humanity, Jesus dies apart from the presence of God so that you might be welcomed into a resurrection feast in the presence of God forever. And this is all a free gift of grace to you today if you trust in Christ. You don't have to be a certain type of person. You don't have to be of a certain pedigree. You don't have to be a certain ethnicity. You don't have to be 18 years or older before this applies to you. You don't have to be your best quarantine self, being productive and checking off your checklist and putting on a collared shirt every day. God takes you in your sweatpants and your unshowered self. This salvation is for everyone. Anyone can get in on this. Anyone can who asks, can receive life because Jesus has taken on our eternal suffering and come out on the other side and invites us to participate in his life. The resurrection is for everyone. The second, the resurrection is for the darkest of times. In verse one of this passage, it speaks of David groaning in prayers of suffering to God. And when we're suffering or even just doing something hard, groans naturally come out of us. Right? Think about it. So if you're doing yard work that's hard, you groan. If you're working out, exercising, you groan. A mother in labor groans as she is delivering a child. And there is a sense in which we groan because things are hard, but there is also a sense in which we groan because we know the goodness of what's coming. There's a sense in which we groan in hope towards what's coming. We groan in hope of a pristine lawn or a fit, healthy body or a newborn child. And what the resurrection does is it transforms the psalms of lament into groans of ultimate hope because we know what is on the other side of our groaning. We know that life awaits after the suffering we experience. But the resurrection doesn't just change what we know to be the outcome. It also changes who is with us and how we experience suffering right now. You see, verse 22 of this passage tells us that Jesus is not ashamed to call us those whom he came to save and suffer alongside of, brothers and sisters. But not only that, in Romans chapter 8, Paul speaks of us groaning by the Spirit of God in prayer in the midst of our suffering. You see, Jesus, after he suffers and dies as our older brother, resurrects from the dead and ascends to heaven. And from there, he gives us his spirit. And his spirit is with us, groaning in the middle of our suffering. You see, the spirit comes and groans with us in agony and hope. He helps us pray these psalms of lament on the pathway to resurrection. He is with you in suffering. Christian, Not only can you pray the prayer of Psalm 22 or any other prayer of lament, looking forward to the promise of the resurrection, but you do not pray alone. The Spirit prays with you. He groans with you. He groans as your business has fallen apart and you worry about how to support a family. He groans with you as you try to display godly character with your children. He groans with you in your loneliness. He groans with you for your sick loved one or your loved one whom you can't see right now. You see, the resurrection holds forth Christ as our ultimate hope in the groanings of our darkest hour. And it also holds forth the spirit of Christ who is with us in the middle of our suffering, helping us to fix our eyes on the horizon of resurrection and see what's coming on the other side. Lament and resurrection are integrally related. The resurrection is for everyone, and the resurrection is for our darkest times. And lastly, the resurrection is too good not to sing about. See, not only is resurrection described as a feast in this passage, but it's also described as a rousing worship service in praise to our God for his grace. Look with me again at at some of these verses from this passage where I see this. So I'm going to read verses 22 and 23 and then jump down to 30 and 31. So picking up halfway through verse 22, it says, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This news of God's grace for anyone in the darkest night is news that we can't help but sing about. We can't help but praise God for what he has done. Those who are truly changed by the power of the resurrection cannot hold that in. And notice too, this praise takes place before nations and coming generations. The praise of the people of God for his good news of resurrection is the way that God draws more people into this feast of the resurrection. If you look at verse 22, Jesus is the one who leads us in this singing. Jesus doesn't hoard the benefits of his resurrection in the way that we hoard toilet paper. He freely proclaims it to his brothers and sisters. He sings of the joy of the hope of resurrection. And I wish so deeply that we could be together this morning to sing and feast like this together. I wish my concluding point for this sermon was, now let's go feast and sing together. But we can't do that. But I do propose that the first Sunday that we're back in church, that's what we do. That we feast together and we sing until our lungs give out. I'm going to motion for that. But even as we can't gather together this morning and do this in person, this psalm highlights the fact that you can raise a song of praise in your homes together today to the Lord for His grace. You see, your children need to hear about the good news of the resurrection. One application you can take from this psalm is to prioritize worship in your home, right? To teach the coming generations of the grace and majesty of God displayed in the resurrection. See, I pray that even as this pandemic goes on, I pray that the homes of those of us in our church would glow with hope as we sing Of the resurrection, that our homes would be transformed into temples of praise that shine out the goodness of the gospel into this dark world, in this dark time. And friends, I don't know exactly how dark your night is right now, but I know that for all of us, it's at least a little darker than it was a month ago. But dawn is coming in the gospel, you get a foretaste of the light that is coming. And that means that today there is something to sing about. See, today we do not have to drown in the sorrow of despair over a pandemic, over this virus. We can display true joy in the midst of this. See, even as you get chances, maybe if you're someone who still goes into work or you see your neighbors on a regular basis during this strange time, I pray that we would display the gospel with a dumbfounding amount of hope in the midst of this darkness. See, in these dark times, we can join. The chorus of Christians that have gone before us and proclaim the goodness of our God and what he has done for us. The God who, as another psalm says, there is fullness of joy in his presence forever. You see, this Easter especially, there is not a strangeness, but an appropriateness to focusing on lament. But what the resurrection does is it doesn't allow us to stay there. Lament is not like quicksand. We can't stay in lament, but lament is a pathway to joy. Lament is a pathway to experiencing the fullness of life that Christ promises to us. See, the gospel doesn't give us a choice to stay in despair because Jesus did not stay in the grave. And so we can look beyond our horizon and see the resurrected one, the one who sings in joy and the one who invites us to keep moving every day, one step closer towards that great day when we will feast in the fullness of his presence. We will all be together in new bodies and we will sing of the Lord that he has done it. I pray that you would know that hope this Easter and trust in that Savior. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize today that you are the author of life. And that in Jesus Christ, you offer us life forever. Father, I pray that we would taste that life today, whether for the first time or the 500th or 5 millionth time, that we would feast upon Christ, We would focus our eyes on Him, and that even in the midst of this suffering, that we are all experiencing some in different measures than others, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good, and that we would know the hope that we have awaiting for us, that is unshakable, That we will live in new bodies, in a new heaven, in a new earth with you forever in fullness of joy. So until that day, we pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.